0: We're going to be reading a whole bunch of scripture this week, which is a good thing to do now and then, don't you think? We'll be in chapters 37 and 38 of Jeremiah, and these chapters find us back in the final days of Jerusalem, in the midst of the Babylonian siege of the city. Chapter 37 tells us that this takes place at the point in the siege where the Babylonian armies get wind that the Egyptians are marching north, and they break the siege temporarily to go and deal with this new threat. So, in chapter 37, verses 11 to 16, we read this. When the Chaldeans' forces went from Jerusalem in the face of Pharaoh's forces, Jeremiah went out from Jerusalem to go to Benjamin's country to divide a share there. Now, just a quick side note, this might be referring to dividing up a share of land, And be related to the story of Jeremiah buying a field from his cousin that we saw a couple weeks ago. Although some scholars doubt that that sort of thing would be happening in the middle of a siege, and they think the word divide a share might actually mean something like flee or hide, which does seem to make a bit more sense to me, but for whatever reason, Jeremiah is trying to leave Jerusalem and head north towards his hometown of Anatot in the territory of Benjamin. Okay, back to our passage. So he was at the Benjamin Gate. And a master of the guard was there whose name was Jeriah, son of Shelemiah, son of Hananiah. He seized Jeremiah the prophet, saying, You are going over to the Chaldeans. Jeremiah said, It's a lie. I'm not going over to the Chaldeans. But he didn't listen to him. So Jeriah seized Jeremiah and brought him to the officials. The officials were incensed at Jeremiah. They beat him and put him in the prison house, the house of Jonathan the scribe, because they had made it into the prison house. Jeremiah came to the cistern house and the cells, and Jeremiah lived there for many days. And then in chapter 38, verses 1 to 6, which is a little different from what we just read, but I think is actually part of the same story, just focused on the point of the story where Jeremiah is brought before the officials, and the story is kind of told more from their perspective, we read this. Shephathiah, son of Matan, Gedaliah, son of Pasher, Juchol, son of Shelemiah, and Pasher, son of Malchiah, heard the words that Jeremiah was speaking to the entire people. Yahweh has said this, The person who lives in this city will die by the sword, famine, or epidemic, but the person who goes out to the Chaldeans will live. His life will be his as a trophy. He will live. Yahweh has said this, This city will certainly be given into the hand of the king of Babylon's forces, and they will capture it. The official said to the king, this man should surely be put to death because by this means he is weakening the hand of the fighting men who remain in the city and the hand of the entire people by speaking to them in accordance with these words, because this man isn't seeking the well-being of this people, but rather evil. King Zedekiah said, there, he's in your hands because the king can't win against you in this matter. So they got Jeremiah and put him into the cistern of Malchiah, the king's son, in the prison courtyard. They put Jeremiah there with ropes. There was not water in the cistern, but only mud. So Jeremiah sank into the mud. So let me ask you a question as we read those two accounts of how Jeremiah is doing. After decades of ministry, as Jerusalem is about to fall, here is my question for you. Was Jeremiah a success? Was his life, his ministry, his mission successful? It's a sort of hard question that many of us have to confront in one way or another at some point in our lives. Meredith and I have more friends probably than we could count whose kids were in and around the churches that we've been a part of over the years, but who have now, as they move into their adult years, walked away from church uninterested in Jesus. Some are doing really well other than that. Some have really struggled through adolescence and early adulthood. Were those youth ministries successful? Were those parents Many of you have put in decades of work and money and sacrifice into building churches and doing church work, and you look back on it and ask a similar question. Was that worth it? Was that successful? There was a point five years ago after I had gone to seminary and spent a decade working in churches, I thought, you know, kind of paying my dues, when my job was to be a stay-at-home dad who on the weekends taught the kindergarten and first grade room at our church using a script someone else had written, while watching each weekend as someone else my age who hadn't gone to seminary and who was, in my totally objective opinion of course, a less thoughtful and effective communicator than I was, get up to preach to 10,000 plus people each week. And I was looking at my life and my ministry asking, have I been successful? Has any of this mattered at all? And this was an ongoing conversation I was having with God. There wasn't a moment or a message or a response. But over time, I began to get this sense from God that wasn't really a direct answer to my question, but kind of was an answer all the same, which is sometimes how God seems to work. I got this sense that God was saying to me, you get to tell 400 little kids about Jesus every weekend. Do that. Do that. We left Jeremiah sinking into the mud at the bottom of a pit. There are echoes in this story of the stories of Joseph and his brothers, and of Jonah, and of Job. What is it with Old Testament guys whose names start with J getting thrown into literal and metaphorical pits? Anyhow, there's lots of connections with other Old Testament stories in these verses, but there's one I want to zero in on. These particular words for mud, or mire in some translations, and pit, or cistern, only show up together in two places in the Bible. This one, Jeremiah 38, 6, and in Psalm 40, verse 3. I don't think this link is an accident. I think it's probable that those two words are used because Jeremiah, in those dark days, like literally dark, the cistern would not have been like a big open pit in the ground. It would have been tapered to a small opening at the top that could be covered, you know, so that water wouldn't evaporate from it. But I think it's likely that Jeremiah, sitting alone in the dark, the mud oozing through his toes, brought these words to his mind from Psalm 40, because listen to how closely they match Jeremiah's experiences. This is Psalm 40. I urgently hoped for Yahweh. Yahweh bent down towards me and listened to my cry for help. Yahweh lifted me up from the roaring pit from the thickest mud and set my feet on a cliff. Yahweh steadied my legs. Yahweh put in my mouth a new song, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and revere and trust in Yahweh. Happy is the person who puts their trust in Yahweh and does not turn to the defiant and to those who turn to false idols. You, you have done many things, Yahweh my God. Your awesome deeds and your thoughts for us, there is none who can match you. Were I to proclaim and tell of them, there are too many to recount. "'Sacrifice and offerings you do not want. "'You opened your ears for me. "'Burnt offerings and purification offerings "'you did not ask for. "'Then I said, look, I come with the scroll of the book "'written for me. "'To do what pleases you, my God, is my desire, "'and your teaching is deep within me. "'I proclaimed your faithfulness in the great congregation. "'There I did not close my lips, Yahweh you know. "'I did not hide your justice within my heart. "'I told of your faithfulness and rescue.' I did not hide your true commitment before the great congregation. You, Yahweh, will not hold back your mercies from me. Your true commitment continually protects me. For evils drew in around me without number. My wrongdoing caught up with me and I couldn't see. They were more than the hairs of my head. My heart failed me. Show favor, Yahweh, to save me. Yahweh, hurry to my help. May they be shamed and disgraced altogether, the people who seek after my life to end it. May they fall back and be dishonored, the people who want trouble for me. May they be devastated because of their shameful deceit, the people who celebrate over me. May all who seek help from you rejoice and be glad in you. May they continually say, Yahweh is great, the people who love your rescue. As I am weak and needy, may my Lord take thought of me. You are my help and my rescuer, my God, do not delay. It's a perfect match. For Jeremiah's situation. And I can absolutely imagine these words running over and over through Jeremiah's mind as he sinks into the mud. Words that affirm and remember God's faithfulness. Words that remind Jeremiah of what he has done in being faithful to God and in proclaiming God's words to the people and why he has done those things. Words that ask for the shame and disgrace of those who have not trusted in Yahweh despite Jeremiah's pleas. And finally, words that affirm God's rescuing power that Jeremiah will not be abandoned in this muddy pit. I think it's remembering these things over and over until they sunk into his bones that gave Jeremiah the ability to continue on faithfully, despite what to any rational person would look like abject failure. It's these truths about who God is and why Jeremiah is doing what he is doing that give Jeremiah the vision to see that he has not failed. Because his job was not to win hearts and minds and save Jerusalem. His job was to be faithful to the word God had called him to proclaim to the people. That's it. And so when Jeremiah gets pulled out of the pit and King Zedekiah sends for him, Jeremiah picks up exactly where he left off. He does not change his message. He is not afraid. He continues to be faithful. And in chapter 38, verse 17 and following, Jeremiah said to Zedekiah, Yahweh, God of armies, Israel's God, has said this, If you do go out to the king of Babylon's officers, you yourself will live, and this city won't be burned with fire. You and your household will live. But if you don't go out to the king of Babylon's officers, this city will be given into the Chaldeans' hands and burned with fire. You won't escape from their hand. King Zedekiah said to Jeremiah, But I'm afraid of the Judahites who have gone over to the Chaldeans, in case the Chaldeans give me over into their hand and they attack me. Jeremiah said, the Chaldeans won't give you over. Do listen to Yahweh's voice, to what I'm speaking to you, so that Yahweh may do good things to you and you yourself may live. But if you refuse to go out, this is the message that Yahweh has shown me. Jeremiah's response is to be faithful. To continue on the path God has given him to walk, even as Zedekiah continues to ignore his words. Jeremiah understands that just because faithfulness might lead to rejection, rejection doesn't mean failure. Success for Jeremiah and for us is faithfulness. You can see it right in this interchange between the fearless Jeremiah and the fearful Zedekiah. Back in chapter 17, Jeremiah said that the one who puts their trust in Yahweh is blessed like a tree with an abundant source of water, a tree that does not fear when the heat and the drought come. Well, the heat is on and Zedekiah is wilting, while Jeremiah, even though he was just pulled out of the muddy cistern, is standing strong. Jeremiah knows that success for those faithful to God, it doesn't always look the way we might expect. Faithfulness might lead to mass rejection, like it did for Jeremiah, to all outward appearances, an abject failure. But faithfulness also leads to hidden successes. The hints are all through this chapter, actually. Why are the officials afraid of Jeremiah? Why do they want to put him to death? Because those who remain in the city might go over to the other side. Those who remain implies that some did not remain. Some have heard Jeremiah's words and fled. Why is Zedekiah afraid to listen to Jeremiah? Because he believes the Babylonians will turn him over to the Judahites who have gone over to the Chaldeans. Our story is focused inside the walls of Jerusalem and on the powerful voices of the king and the officials who have rejected and ignored Jeremiah's warnings. But apparently there are some who have listened and who have gone out to surrender. They have trusted Yahweh's words and now they live. On top of this, if you remember, in all the past times that Jeremiah has had a run-in with the king and the officials, there were other powerful voices who had saved him. Why didn't that happen this time? Presumably because those voices who had saved him in the past, who had listened to and defended him when he gave his warnings, they're among those that fled the city. God, this book has reminded us over and over again, works through the remnant, a small group who put their trust in God while the majority reject Yahweh's words. And a God who works through a remnant just isn't going to conform to our normal metrics for success. Where bigger, flashier, better, wider acclaim, those are what success means. Although that does leave Jeremiah all alone. Almost. Because with God, success sometimes looks like a remnant, and with God's success often looks unexpected. The last shall be first, the servant shall be the greatest of all, and here God's prophet is saved by a dark-skinned foreigner. In chapter 38, verse 7, we meet Ebed-Melech. His name literally means servant of the king. Ebed, servant, Melech of the king. That's his entire identity. Ebed-Melech, the Sudanese, a eunuch, who was in the king's house, heard that they had put Jeremiah in the cistern. The king was sitting at the Benjamin gate, so Ebed-Melech went out from the king's house and spoke to the king. My lord king, these men have done evil. In all they've done to Jeremiah the prophet, whom they've thrown into the pit, he'll die in that place from hunger because there is no more bread in the city. So the king commanded Ebed-Melech, the Sudanese, get 30 people from here with you and get Jeremiah the prophet up from the cistern before he dies. Ebed-Melech got the men with him and came to the king's house to below the treasury. He got from there old rags and old clothes and threw them down to Jeremiah into the pit by ropes Ebed-melech the Sudanese said to Jeremiah, "Will you put the old rags and clothes under your armpits, under the ropes?" Jeremiah did so. They pulled Jeremiah up by the ropes and got him up from the cistern. So Jeremiah lived in the prison courtyard. I love the details of the gentleness and thoughtfulness of Ebed-melech, getting old rags to cushion the ropes as Jeremiah gets hauled up. The tricky thing is when we are looking for success to be one way but faithfulness actually yields a different harvest. The majority of the officials and the powerful have rejected Jeremiah. They have left him to die. The king seems unsure what to do, but ultimately rejects Jeremiah's pleas to trust in Yahweh. Failure. But a remnant has heard and fled, a remnant that will return under Nehemiah and Ezra to rebuild a new people of God out of the ashes, a people of God that still won't be perfect, but will culminate in the birth of the Savior God has promised through Jeremiah, the righteous branch from the line of David, Jesus. The people of Israel have ignored Jeremiah and the city is going to be destroyed. Failure. But a Sudanese eunuch, an anonymous servant of the king, has heard his words and has put his trust in Yahweh and is therefore unafraid to risk his own life to save Jeremiah's. And the words of Psalm 40 are shown to be true. Yahweh has lifted Jeremiah up from the pit, from the mire. We could ask the question I started with a different way. Instead of Jeremiah, we could ask, was Yahweh a success? God's grand plan for Israel to be God's people who represent God to the world and show the world God's faithfulness and justice and goodness, that plan is burning right along with the city. Most would say that Yahweh has failed. And yet... It's at exactly these times that Yahweh puts a new song into the mouths of the faithful. A song of praise for God's faithfulness, even in the pit. And what does Psalm 40 say is the result of that new song? That many will see and revere and trust in Yahweh. Many from all the nations, like Ebed-Melech. Many, though they may start as a remnant. Many who choose to see that faithfulness is what success looks like. Faithfulness in the little things and the big things. Faithfulness that works in hidden and unexpected ways. Faithfulness as we live our own lives as parents, children, students, employees, pastors, friends. Faithfulness as we build a faithful remnant following Jesus into the world together. We want our metrics of success at Pomona Valley Church to measure faithfulness. May we be people who, like Jeremiah, know that success in God's world can be hidden. Success in God's world can be unexpected. Success in God's world means a faithful people following their faithful God. Amen.